Hello, and welcome to Stonebridge Extras. I'm Pastor John, and Stonebridge Extras is a podcast where we try to take themes in the sermon that I just couldn't chase down and just add a little bit extra. This is where we go down the rabbit trails that you have to avoid in a sermon because they're not on topic or they would just make the sermon way too long. So this week on Stonebridge Extras, we are beginning our study of Leviticus. Now, I've been excited for this sermon series and for this study because I think Leviticus is a mysterious, interesting, fascinating book. And what I like to do whenever I start a new study of a book is just go through some basic information. Things like, who do we think wrote this book? When do we think it might have been written down? And what are the main themes? What is this book trying to do? What's it trying to tell us? What, what, is trying to be, what is being communicated here to us? So that's what we're going to be doing today. It's, it's a general introduction to Leviticus and talking about some of the, the main themes and main, really the reasons I think this book is so interesting and so fascinating. So thank you for joining with us. And I hope that you at the end of this, are as interested in the book of Leviticus as I am. We'll see if that happens. I know it's a tall task, but we'll see. So first things first, who do we think wrote the book of Leviticus? If you remember a few years, uh, sorry, a few weeks ago, I talked about this theory that's called the documentary hypothesis, where it basically states that four different documents that were put together by four different authors or school of authors, groups of authors, it was four different kinds of editors, that those were all joined together to form what we have as the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible, the law. Now, you don't have to adopt that theory, and that's okay. My job in this isn't to convince you of one way of thinking. It's to show you possibilities, to show you theories out there, and to let you decide what you think makes the most sense to you. So, in the documentary hypothesis, where Leviticus gets assigned is what's called the the P author. Remember, there was J from Yahweh, that name of God. There was E from Elohim, that name for God, or title for God. Then there was D for the Deuteronomist, which is basically the book of Deuteronomy on. And then there was P, and that's priestly. Now, P gets assigned to Leviticus, or Leviticus gets assigned to P, because so much of this book is talking about the priests and what they do. The book is all sacrifices, pretty much. It's all sacrifices, and then there's a what's called a holiness code at the end of Leviticus. But there's so much about what the priests will do, and the priests are elevated, they're lifted up. So the thought is that priests were involved in the writing of this book. That they're the ones who passed this down, that they received it through the revelation of God to Moses, and that it was the priests who preserved this and passed it down to us. Now, there's with this whole J, E, P, and D, the documentary hypothesis, there are connections other places in the Bible to specific authors. For instance, the prophetic book of Jeremiah gets associated with the D author. But the prophetic book of Ezekiel 
is connected to the P author because Ezekiel was a prophet and a priest. So you see all sorts of priestly stuff going on in Ezekiel. And in the sermon this week, I talked about Ezekiel 8 through 10, where the presence of God leaves the temple because the sins of Jerusalem become too great. They're not being atoned for. So God moves on from them. That's another reason that there's support for this idea of P being a priestly author. is because Ezekiel's a priest and there's so many connections between Leviticus and Ezekiel. There's so many similarities and uh, the same way of just viewing the world in those two books. So, primarily when people say, when was this book written down? Um, or sorry, when people say, who wrote this book? P is the best guess. The priestly author is a best guess. Now, for those of you who are out there who are committed to Moses writing these books and Moses writing all of this, I think you can still believe that. I'm not saying you have to set that aside. But what you have to do is say that Moses wrote this in the style of a priestly author because it's it's very different vocabulary that's used. The themes are different. It's very distinct from the rest of the Pentateuch. So Moses could have written this, but Moses did it under the persona of somebody who's very focused on priests and priestly writing. So if you're committed to that, I'm not even saying you have to abandon that. I'm saying just realize that the stylistically, it's a very distinct style here. And we should then ask ourselves the question, well, why did Moses write this in this style? What does that tell us about priests? What does that tell us about the world of Leviticus? So that's the best guess as to who wrote this. When we say, when was this book written? The standard scholarly assumption is that the the P source, the documentary source uh, of P, that it's later than the other ones. But the truth is nobody really knows for sure. Nobody really knows when this book, as we have it now, was first written down. We do not have the original manuscript. There's no copyright date on it or anything like that. It was passed down and it was changed and it was, it was, it was handed down from generation to generation and scribes would make little mistakes here and there. And then likely different kind of documents were pulled together at some point to, to make the full document that we have of Leviticus. So the answer really is we don't know for sure when it was written down. Now, if you believe M- Moses wrote it, then you can kind of guesstimate that sometime in Moses's life, this book was written down. But whatever Moses would have written down, it, it would have changed in the process of transmission as it was passed down. So when the form that we have was actually written down, when it was structured and edited in this way, we don't really know. For a long time, like I said, people thought that the priestly book source, um, that it came down later, but that's been challenged lately. There, It's actually been challenged pretty heavily, and there's some thought that some of the stuff that is here in Leviticus is very, very ancient, is very old, and that some of the ideas are very, very old and ancient. But the truth is, we don't really know. What we do know is the form that we have shows up around what's called the Persian era, 
If you remember Jerusalem, Judea, Israel, they're occupied by a series of different empires. And one of those is the Persian Empire. And in the Persian Empire, their, the Persians' approach to running an empire was not to destroy the different gods and different beliefs and the communities that they took over. It wasn't like the Babylonians where they would deport people and do forced exiles in order to tame certain areas. The Persians had a very different approach. They wanted their regions that they were controlling to have their own identities. And they encouraged documents like uh, the first five books of the Bible to be written, to be edited. So what we know is that the form that we have, it, it shows up around the Persian era, which is around 400, 300 BC. Um, right in around, around that time, maybe, maybe closer to 400 or so. So that's when the form we have first shows up. Doesn't mean that that's necessarily when it was written, but that's when it first shows up and that's when we, we have evidence of it. So those are some of the ins and outs questions. Now, what I love about this book of Leviticus, it's a very technical form of writing. It's not your standard narrative. It's almost like you have to break a code with Leviticus when you're reading it. And if you look too closely at the details, you can miss some of the bigger picture stuff. So what do I mean by bigger picture stuff? Well, there's one theory out there that the book of Leviticus itself reflects the architecture of what's known as the tabernacle or the tent of meeting, which later becomes the temple. But the book of Leviticus, the way the book itself is structured, reflects that architecture. So what do I mean by that? Well, in the beginning of the book of Leviticus, you get a lot of stuff that's part about, that's focused on like the outer courtyard. So it would symbolize that outer courtyard. And then you get a point where you get a narrative break. And there's like a short little, it's a couple chapters, a narrative break. And that would mark for you that you're now entering into a, that's like a doorway. You're entering into a deeper part of the book of Leviticus, but also a deeper part of the temple. And then you're in the next room of the temple. And the stuff that's being talked about reflects that room. And then there's another narrative break. And then we get to what's called the Day of Atonement. And I'm going to be preaching on the Day of Atonement next week, so I don't want to say too much right now, but the Day of Atonement would be reflective of the Holy of Holies. That's where God lives. That's where God's presence is. That is what this book is building up to. And then everything moves out from there. That you come back out of the temple as a holy person of God. So you then get what's called the holiness codes, which is the end of the book of Leviticus. And those are all focused not now on sacrifices and on how sin can be atoned for and how the world can be cleansed from the consequences of our sins. But in the holiness codes, we talk about how we can be the people of God, how Israel can be the people of God, how they can live as a just nation that reflects God's desire for the world. It's because you're now moving out of the temple, cleansed. Your sins are forgiven. The world is cleansed from the effects of your sin. And now you are one of God's holy people again, restored. And this is how you behave. That's what I mean when I say 
You have to look at the, the big picture and not get too caught up in the details of this book. And you have to look at what, what, what are the little pieces and the little symbols pointing us towards. There's another interesting little um, kind of clue or code-breaking thing in Leviticus. So in ancient Hebrew writing, there's a thing called a, a chiasm. I don't know if I'm pronouncing that correctly, by the way, but I'm just going to go with it, chiasm. Um, and it, it basically just is a way of writing where the most important piece of writing, the, the thesis basically, is not at the end like we do it, but it's at the center. So it's like you have, a, you have an intro and then the outro will reflect the intro. Then you have another, like, so let's say that that's section A, like the intro will have certain themes and then in the outro, you come back to those themes and those are A, it's like a mirror image. Then you have a second section that's, that's B and then ahead of your conclusion, you have those themes come up again, B, and then C is really at the center there. And that is the most important point that you're making. That's the way a lot of Hebrew writing is done. So that we know that that's common in the Bible and that that kind of structure is there. And I'm sorry if that's really complicated or anything. It's basically just an A, B, C, B, A pattern of writing. And the A equals certain themes, B equals certain themes, C is certain themes that are the most important themes, and then you go back to the B themes and then back to the A themes to close. In Leviticus, it's very possible that what we have in chapters 18, 19, and 20 are a chiastic structure. And in chapter 18, you have a bunch of themes. You have a bunch of uh, negative laws, if you will. Don't do this. Don't do this. Don't do this. In 20, you have all of those same themes. Don't do this. Don't do this. Don't do this. Don't do that. They're all structured primarily with negative prohibitions. But then in chapter 19, which if we're adopting this whole chiastic structure thing, then 18 and 20 would be the bookends. 19 would be the most important passage. You have a shift and all of a sudden, it's all positive stuff. Not all positive, but there, there's, there's more like do this, do that, do this, do that. You also have a preponderance of the phrase, I am the, I am the Lord and I am holy. That gets used more in chapter 19. It's almost like you're coming to the middle of this and this is the climax. And in, in the section of 18, 19, and 20, this is the climax. And it's like a little bridge or an interpretive lens that you're to view the rest of Leviticus with. But in 19, and this is where it just, this blows my mind, in the Hebrew text, if this were true, then what's in the middle of the Hebrew text, word count, letter count, all that, what, what you find in the middle, that would be the most important thing. That would be how you interpret everything else. And what you find in chapter 19 is that very famous verse that Jesus quotes as a summary of the law. Love your neighbor as yourself. It's right there in chapter 19. So if that's all true, and if it's structured this way intentionally, then the message is the summary of holiness, 
The summary of being God's chosen people, set apart people, is loving your neighbor as yourself. Which then makes sense why Jesus quotes that as the summary of the law in the Gospels. So, for all those who say that the Old Testament is not about loving your neighbor, that it's a a God that they can't connect with, well, loving your neighbor is right there in the book of Leviticus as the summary of the law. If you accept this theory, which I have to think that this isn't accidental, that, that this stuff is intentional. So, that's what I mean, though, by... Leviticus is a fascinating book. It's like you have to you have to break a code. You have to look at the details, but you can't get lost in the details. You have to assign the details a symbol a symbolic value. And then you have to put them all together to understand what is this book actually trying to teach me. That the sequence of the ideas is just as important as the content of the words. It's a book that I can get lost in. Another reason that I love the book of Leviticus is it shows us the totality of what God cares about, I think. The holiness codes, they will touch on the way people spend their money. They will touch on the way humans structure governments. They will touch on the way humans act with the world around them, the way humans engage with the land that they live on. And one of the lessons over and over again in the book of Leviticus is the land is the Lord's. We just live on it as tenants, really. And God is the landlord. Which makes sense of those phrases in the Psalms, the earth is the Lord's and all it contains. Or in Exodus, where God is saying to Moses, as Moses has gone up to Sinai, that the Lord possesses all of the earth. The land is God's. Israel is just there to care for it, to take care of it. Leviticus touches on all of these themes. But in order to understand the importance of it, we do have to sift through a lot of the code, a lot of the structure. It's this mysterious ancient document that you can get lost in, in a really good way. You can get lost in it and learn more about God and God's desires. So, continue studying this book with me the next couple weeks. Next week, we're going to be looking more closely at the Day of Atonement. And then the following week, we're going to be looking more closely at the Year of Jubilee. And the sermons will be preached on those sections as well. And I'll be trying to lift out certain themes, really trying to grasp, though, what is at the center of God's heart? What does God really care about? And how do these scriptures show us that? So have a good week. I look forward to talking with you all next week. And feel free to email me any thoughts or ideas that this provokes for you. And again, I just want to say for those of you who are very committed to Moses writing this book, that is great. You can still be. You just have to recognize that Moses did it in a certain style, in a certain way. And we need to know why and study that. So God bless you all. Hope you're doing well. Have a good week.